Thank you, praise team. The children can uh, be released now for Children's Church, which they'll find through this door on the left side of the sanctuary. That's for kindergarten through grade two. Could I ask the rest of us to open in God's Word in the book of Proverbs, chapter 24. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 649. Proverbs 24, verses 10 through 12. And here is a place in the book of Proverbs which takes that basic idea of wisdom which Proverbs is designed to teach us and it applies it to that fundamental issue of ethics protecting human life. And so... Here the word of God, the, the, the wise man, is teaching us to guard life, to protect life. Proverbs 24, verses 10 through 12, page 649. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say... But we knew nothing about this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity right this, this moment to hear from you. Thank you that you are a God who speaks that you have spoken since the very beginning, that you spoke all things into existence and all the things that we see and ourselves as well, they all reveal something about you. But Father, thank you that you've also spoken clearly and given us a message that we can understand in human language, in the kind of forms that make it easy for us to be able to understand and hear from you. And Father, thank you for the power of your word. And thank you, O God, the Holy Spirit, that you take this word and you drive it home into our hearts. And we thank you for these who have given testimony this morning of that work in their lives. Father, I pray if there are some here this morning, as there surely are, who have not yet come to put their faith in Christ, Father, that you will work in their lives by your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will reveal Christ to them in all of his glory and goodness, his sufficiency, his grace, that their hearts will be moved and open to call upon you, to find you as Lord and Savior, to be washed of all that that they could not cleanse themselves from, and to be made perfect and ready to be received by you for eternity. And Father, I pray for those of us who are here today who have committed ourselves to following Christ. Oh, Father, that your word would remind us to be faithful, that you would challenge us to to serve you with loyalty and faithfulness, with courage, and to walk in your truth, to not turn back, to not give up. Father, turn our hearts to one another. We pray for your blessings on this congregation, spiritual blessings of fellowship, of love. Oh Lord, the image of Christ in us, the image of love, the image of faithfulness, the image of worship, 
the image of truth. May that image of Christ in us shine for the world to see for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Barbara Wagner opened the letter and burst into tears. She had a letter from the Oregon Health Plan informing her that the chemotherapy which her doctor had prescribed was too expensive, that it was not the, the kind of thing that fit into the priorities which the plan was able to address with the funds available, the, the taxpayer funds available to it. But they informed her of, uh, you know, as they were required to do by law, they informed her of the alternatives, the other forms of uh, treatment which were available, some forms of um, uh, palliative care, including physician-assisted suicide. The state will pay for that. A uh, number of people got these letters. We live in a day when life is not valued. It's not treated as something sacred. It's not viewed as a gift of God. And so we share in a culture in which, in which life has become devalued. As man has lost track of God, he has lost track of himself. And so we have the ethics professor at Princeton who advocates infanticide. We have the professor in Texas who was uh, celebrating the potential of an Ebola outbreak, a pandemic that might destroy 80% of the human race. And wouldn't that be good for the environment? And so we, we live in a day of, of school shootings and, and uh, we, we can't teach the kids the commandment of God, thou shalt not kill. And uh, it's, it's a confusing day for us as Christians because we feel driven to protect life. And the Word of God calls us and challenges us to do what we can to protect life, to stand for life. And uh, so what we're looking at today is a passage, one of those passages that drives this point home to us and that insists that we can't escape from it because because life is God's creation. All who share it must protect it. So life is something that comes from God's own hand. And you can't receive it without valuing it. And you value it in everyone who shares it. So God is Lord. Since He is Lord of life, we must guard and protect life. He is Lord of what's inside. That's what Proverbs 24:12 says. It says, uh, uh, "If you say we did not, we we know nothing about this." Does not He who weighs the heart perceive it? God is the is the Lord of the interior, and He is the Lord of the exterior. Look what it, what else it says. It says, "Does not He who guards your life know it?" He's the Lord who guards the whole body, the whole thing. And He is the Lord of the circumstantial, of the surroundings around us. Will He not repay each person according to what He has done? So the deeds that we put out into the environment, God ensures that we receive back what is just at some point in the end ourselves. He will repay us according to what we have done. So we're looking at motives Why should Christians protect life? And we're looking at the motives 
here in Proverbs 24, verse 12, these three motives, because God is the Lord of the interior, God is the Lord of the exterior, and he's the Lord of the circumstances. So first, we must protect life because the creator weighs your heart. Proverbs 24:12, Does not he who weighs your heart perceive it? So there's accountability. And this, is, this seems to be the first motive that's in the mind of the writer here, is that there's a sense of accountability that everything I do, even everything I think, is seen. And so on Judgment Day, all of our inner thoughts will be judged and the secrets of our hearts will be revealed. And that's what the Word of God says over and over again. So the things that we hide within ourselves are an open book to God and he sees them all and so we're accountable. So it's not just a matter of changing the channel because you've already seen it. You already know what's happening. It's not a matter of just turning the page or of acting like you didn't hear. So what if people are going to be bothered that you're rocking the boat? So what if people are going to accuse you of spoiling things? Or they'll think that you're silly for chasing after your, your, your project of saving lives. And they'll think you're, you've got quixotic, grandiose ideas of yourself because you're trying to change the world one life at a time. God knows your heart. You can't hide what you know. You've got to act on it. You've got to do what's right. So there's accountability. But there's also another motive here in this fact that the Creator weighs your heart. There's a joyful motive that comes out of this. There's a motive uh, we could call the glory motive. That God is interested in my little heart because my little heart has eternal significance. I am created for God's glory and so is every other human being who shares human life. God created us for his glory and the things that we do, especially the things that we do in God's kingdom and in Christ's name and to save lives, they have eternal significance. Would you turn with me, keep your, your bulletin or something in Proverbs 24 and turn back to the, the book of Psalms, the one book before Proverbs, Psalm 139. Uh, Psalm 139. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 618. And uh, let's look at this psalm, which of all the places in Scripture that talk about God searching the heart, this one is the, is the, the, classic, uh, the classic place to see it. And it's amazing to see the motive that the psalmist draws from this fact that God searches his heart. And so first, let's just read through the psalm a little bit and, and see this, this amazing truth that God searches our heart. And then we're going to see how this draws us to this exciting, exuberant motivation to preserve life, a joyful motive to, serve, to preserve life. So Psalm 139. O Lord... You have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. 
God knows everything about us, even before, even before we do. And uh, if you just skip down to verse 7. Uh, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There's no place to hide from God's eye. He sees us. He weighs our hearts. He tests our minds. Verse 11. Uh, the, the depth of God's knowledge. There's nothing that can hold him back from seeing. Uh, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And then our, our origin. This, these are verses here in verses 13 and on about where we come from and how God has always known us. We've always had significant significance in his eyes. Verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And then we come to some difficult verses. Where, where actually the psalmist says, I hate the people who hate you. I, I hate them with a perfect hatred. And these are some difficult verses. But this is where we get to the motive. This is where we get to the motive. The real motive here is not that we should go out and, have, and fight or, or do jihad or, or attack people who, who, who think differently or who don't understand God's truth. But the real motive here, what the psalmist is doing is he's protesting the purity of his love toward God. I don't gang up with people who are against you. They're all around me, but I'm not part of them. I keep myself apart from them. I'm all for you. Oh God, look at me. My heart is pure. You see every single detail. I can't hide anything. And oh look, I'm keeping myself as pure as I can. I don't join their team. I hate the things that they're standing for. I have nothing to do with them. That's the kind of... of uh, direction that we can take from, from those verses. But then these last verses of the psalm. These last verses of the psalm. There's just a drive to purity that comes from knowing that, that God sees us, that my life matters, that my heart is significant. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So, we need to look and realize that our hearts are significant because they're hearts created by God. And the hearts of all those other people are also significant. Whether we know them or not, whether they're our friends or our enemies, they are eternally significant. George Mueller was a great philanthropist. His funeral procession was greeted by thousands of people lining the streets, people honoring the man who had devoted so much effort and done so much to raise the consciousness in England about the plight of orphans. 
and to challenge people's understanding of what could be done for orphans. What he had done is he had cared for thousands of orphans uh, on prayer alone. He opened orphan houses and he didn't have a budget to do so. But he believed that God sees and God hears and God answers prayer. George Mueller had three purposes in running these orphan houses. And the needs of the orphans was the last of the three purposes. Caring for the physical, practical needs of orphans was the last of his purposes. It was something important. It was something significant. It was something worth working for. But it was the last of his motives. The first motive was that people would see that God is present, that God hears prayer, that God is looking, and that people would be filled with faith, and that saints would be encouraged, and that their faith would be strong so that they could walk with the Lord. And his second motive was that people... That, that, that these children themselves, these children would be spiritually nourished and they, they would come to trust in God in the same way. Because God is looking. He's looking at things that are significant. He looks at what he has made. And so life is significant. God is the Lord of the inner heart because the inner heart matters. And it matters whether it's an infant or whether it's an old person whether it's someone who is near me living in my house or someone far. God is the Lord of the interior and God is the Lord of the exterior. So God takes care of our lives because the Creator guards your life. You should protect life. And that's, again, what it says in Proverbs 24, verse 12. So we read that... uh, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? And now secondly, does not he who guards your life know it? God guards our lives. And every one of us who is alive is alive because of this truth. Because Adam and Eve sinned under penalty of death. And they didn't die but they were spared. They were given a reprieve. And so every one of us is born under sentence of death, and yet we've been allowed to live. And so we are recipients of mercy. God has been merciful to give us life, to give us a chance to be born and a chance to live. And um, when we receive mercy like this, it means that we're obligated God guards your life. You're obligated to Him. You're obligated to turn around and do something good for your neighbor. You're obligated to guard life yourself. And uh, as we think of this truth of guarding life, again, it has the negative and the, and the positive side. There's the, the, the negative side of an obligation, a serious obligation, which if you fail to keep it, consequences will come upon you. But there's also the positive side of gratitude. Look how God has guarded your life. Look what mercy you've received. Will you turn with me to a passage that that challenges us with gratitude? Matthew chapter 6. So Matthew chapter 6, 
starting with verse 25. You can find this in the Pew Bible on page 960. And so here in, in Jesus' teaching, he shows how God has mercifully cared for us and that he guards our lives. And so because he, he guards our lives, that it challenges our motivation to serve him. So Matthew 6, 25 through 33. <clears throat> And uh, the Word of God says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? In other words, hey, you've already got the main thing. Why are you worried about the details? So verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. There's the motive. There's the application. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. What's your first business? If God is caring for you, seek Him. If God is caring for you and for all of your affairs and your concerns, then seek His kingdom. Seek His glory, that His name will be lifted up. And uh, His name is lifted up in hearts that worship Him. So save lives. This is what the early Christians did. They, they saw how infants were being abandoned, actually literally thrown out on the, in the dump when they were not wanted. They didn't bother with uh, you know, abortion all the time. They would sometimes wait and see if it was a boy or a girl or whatever, and whichever one they wanted, if it wasn't what they wanted, they'd throw it away. Um, and Christians would go and rescue them and raise them. The Creator guards your life, and so you have an obligation to serve Him. So this is how Jesus puts it. A new commandment I give you. As I have loved you, you should love one another. The measure for love that we ought to have for people is the measure of Christ's self-sacrificing love for us. So because we are recipients of mercy, we have to go out and uh, love others and protect them. You know, gratitude is a beautiful thing. It's a lovely thing to see in people. And its opposite is ugly. And the ugliest picture I can paint for you of ingratitude, it comes from the last chapter of the book of Jonah. And here's the runaway prophet. He's been dragged back from the sea. He's been dragged back from running away. And he's finally gone on his errand and he preached the message of mercy. He preached the message of judgment to Nineveh, which he didn't want to preach. But... Uh, the Ninevites heard the message and they hoped that God hears 
They hoped that God would preserve them and guard them. And they cried out to him, and uh, he has heard. And so Jonah, here he is, sitting in the plain of, of Nineveh, that's around Mosul in northern Iraq, in his little uh, thatched hut that he's built for himself to shade himself from the sun. And he's sitting up there watching Nineveh. And he's going to watch the 40 days pass. And he's going to see if God's judgment doesn't come just as it was supposed to come because they're such bad people. And so he's waiting to see God's wrath and punishment come where it belongs, to those who deserve it. And he forgets that he was the runaway prophet, that he was the guy who, when he was sent to Nineveh, he ran off in the opposite direction. And when he was way out there at sea, God mercifully sent a storm to remind him, hey, you know, you're going the wrong way. And so when the sailors said, oh, we're going to die, what do we do? Jonah says, here's what you do. You throw me in the drink. When I'm dead, God will leave us all alone. And I won't have to go to Nineveh and, and they won't have to hear any message and they will get what they deserve. And so here's Jonah sinking down in the ocean and God sends a fish to swallow him up. And Jonah composes this beautiful psalm of gratitude and thanks for God's mercy. Oh God, I was sinking down. The seaweed was wrapped around me. I was going down to the roots of the mountains. And the gates of death were closing over me. But then you came and saved me. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I wonder when he's going to bring his judgment on these Ninevites. I can't stand it. Oh, but may our hearts be moved by gratitude. And may gratitude send us even to save the lives of those we wouldn't care about naturally. Even to save the lives of people who would be our enemies. Because they matter to God. And they matter to us. So gratitude, let it drive us to help others. So the Creator... He weighs our hearts. The Creator guards our lives. And the third thing we find there in this proverb, Proverbs 24:12, is that the Creator repays each person according to what He has done. The Creator repays your deeds. And so here, again, we, we, we come to a motive, and it's a split motive. It has a positive side and a negative side. The proverb says to, um, to do not move an ancient boundary stone. Do not encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong and he will take up their case against you. There's a negative side of this motive. Their defender is strong. If you mess with the weak, he's going to come after you. Who's their defender? God. And he's going to come after you if you go against them. But their defender is strong and he's also able to reward. God repays those who are his enemies and those who reject him and those who scorn him, those who crush other people under their feet. But God also rewards those who serve him. God punishes those who ignore the plight of the needy and those who are being dragged off to death. But God also rewards. He's able to reward mercifully, graciously, fully, abundantly those who serve his purposes. And so I think 
uh, we could, we, we, we've talked about some of the positive aspects of some of these motives. And I think we have to be honest that the writer of the Proverbs here is giving us a warning and focusing our attention on the negative aspect, the threat of what will happen to us if we ignore the plight of those being dragged off to death. Will you turn with me to Ezekiel 33? Uh, If you you flip on, you'll get to Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel somewhere there before Daniel. Uh, Page 853. Ezekiel 33, the first nine verses. And here God is telling the prophet that he is a watchman that he has been set out there to guard people and to tell them the message that they need to hear to warn them so that death doesn't come upon them and, and that he must have the courage to speak up. You know, it's wonderful today. We live in a day where prophets are not just certain people over there, but in a sense, all the people, all the Lord's people are prophets. They all have the Spirit of God. They all speak the Word of God. We live in a day when not only a few people are ordained as priests, but all of God's people are a kingdom of priests, the Word of God says in the New Testament. And so we all share in the ministry. So there isn't clergy, pastors, they're not something different from Christians. We're all the same thing. We're all Christians. And uh, so that means, you know, I can't boss you around. You're a Christian just as much as I am. That's great. Isn't that wonderful? You know what it also means? You're responsible just as much as I am. Well, maybe I'm responsible a bit more because I open my mouth in front of everybody. But, but you're responsible before God. And uh, you have a duty to go out and speak. And so here is Ezekiel, and he's going to press that home upon us. Ezekiel 33, 1 through 9. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, Speak to your countrymen and say to them, When I bring the sword against the land and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming in against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people, then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not take warning and the sword comes and takes away his life, his blood will be on his own head since he heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood will be on his own head. If he had taken warning, he would, not have, he would have saved himself. <clears throat> but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes the life of one of them, that man will be taken away because of his own sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. To bear to, uh, so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to dissuade him from his ways, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man to turn from his ways, and he does not do so, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. Courage. We have to find the courage to speak. <clears throat> Sometimes it's very difficult. <clears throat> you have a relative who is 
neglecting or abusing a parent or cheating them. And uh, it's a judgment call. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. You kind of want to wait and, and just get more information. You be wise, you be careful. But God knows your heart. And you have to have the courage to speak up about what's true and what you really know. A relative, a loved one, considering abortion. How do you intervene? What do you do? What can you do? What ought you to do? What should you do? Not just sit on your hands. Not just shut up because someone will think you're a loud mouth or you talk too much or you're pushing your ideas. So your friend comes and he says, you know, your acquaintance comes and he says, you know, that he's totally at his wit's end. He's going crazy. He doesn't know what he's going to do. And he's bought a gun. You just ignore it? You just let it go? Safety standards at work are slipping. Things are going out the door. Services are being given in a way that gets to the bottom line a little bit quicker, but maybe maybe could put a life in danger. Could put a life in danger. It's always a could. Do you speak up? These are the things the Word of God challenges us to do. It's not easy to speak up. People will criticize you for it. The whistleblower gets in a lot of trouble. Sometimes they get praised. A lot of times they lose their job first. How do you find courage? Think of the judgment day. Just look at the picture of the day of judgment. You, you see that the scripture paints it for you over and over. The whole book of Revelation. Read the book of Revelation and find courage. You know, it's, it's hard to interpret the book of Revelation and you say, oh, you know, this book is so complicated. Oh, you know, what's the beast and all these horns and what is this and that? And uh, the little mouth and the big mouth. You know, what are all these things in the book of Revelation? But you know what's not hard is to get the point of the book of Revelation. It comes home to you over and over again. The point is to have courage. To have courage because Christ is coming. Because judgment is coming. Because God will repay. And so look at the beautiful picture of the city that awaits all of God's children. And the blessing of being part of his family and part of his, uh, his glorious kingdom. And, and be attracted by that. And look at the awful throne and the presence of him from whom earth and sky flee and there's no place found for them. And behold those pictures. See the pictures of, of the judgment day in, in Thessalonians, in, in 2 Peter, in 1 Corinthians 15. In the teachings of Jesus... Jesus again and again emphasized this theme of God's judgment, of his second coming. He said, yes, you know, it's like the king has gone away. The king has gone away. He's on a trip. The master of the house is away and everybody's behind doing whatever they're doing, but he's going to come back. He's going to come back and see what you've done with what he gave you. He's coming back to check on you and he will reward and he will punish and so he talks all about the judgment day in Matthew 24, Matthew 25. So many places. This is, this is central to the teaching of Jesus. We need to have courage and we find courage from those pictures, reminding ourselves that he is soon coming and his reward is with him. And you'll find courage by filling your heart with gratitude 
for all of God's goodness in guarding you and protecting you. And you'll find courage to intervene and protect those who are being taken away to death by delighting in God's eye upon you. Delighting in God's scales which always weigh your heart. Delighting in God's many, many thoughts concerning you. We have some friends who are doing church planting in England. We just got their prayer letter. <clears throat> they say that they, they and their, their church planting team, they're, they're planting churches among Hindus in, uh, in England. And they and their church planting team, together with some unbelievers and some, some Christians, they all went for a sort of a, a fun day at the beach and uh, a, spir- a spiritual retreat and some spiritual teaching and, and some time at the beach. And uh, for some of them, it was their first time to ever see the ocean in, in England, and it was a great time. And so they gave to each one of them, <clears throat> each one of the people who came, a little bag of sand. And in it were, were, was a Bible verse written in Gujarati and in English. And it, just, it was that verse from Psalm 139. Your thoughts concerning me are more numerous than the grains of sand. You know, were I to count them, they would be more numerous than the grains of sand. God is thinking of you. Your life is written in his book. It's significant. It's important. And every life you save is of eternal weight and value. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your mercy towards us, for your thoughts concerning us, And Father, we thank you for wonderful rewards we can anticipate. And oh, Father, teach us the fear of the Lord to recognize that you are the defender, that you are the Lord, that your justice will not be ignored forever, but that it will shine one day. And so may we be found hiding in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, when that day comes and serving you faithfully out of great immeasurable gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.